This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. As artificial intelligence continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation that we can't ignore, AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. With over 750 specialized hackers in their community, HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large organization, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI safety security. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI safety security. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Welcome to the Rocket Ship Podcast. So we were recently at Collisions Conference, and there are so many amazing people to talk to, and one of them that we got to grab was Des from Intercom. Talked about product, pricing, growth, raising money, and what happens after it, um, and what their experience has been. Des is one of the most brilliant product thinkers in our industry, and so getting to sit down face-to-face and just ask him questions was amazing. Now, I have to tell you that this was live. It was in a busy conference hall, so the sound quality isn't quite as good as usual, but I promise the content is worth listening to. Let's get into it. 
We'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors. Hover makes purchasing and managing your domain simple and easy. This week, I talked to George Diab of Working On about why he uses Hover. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, I've been using it for a long time. Probably 2012, I think. I love it. It's yeah. The prices are great. The interface is awesome. And um, I still have a few uh, domains out in, in some other places. And it, it's, I'm just waiting to find some time. And I'll move them all to Hover. I love nice. it. Yeah. Go to Hover.com and use the code SATISFIEDCUSTOMERS to get 10% off your domain purchase today. Hosteyer. You know what a gator is? Hosteyer. It's like an alligator. Yes. No, or then. HostGator makes web hosting easy and affordable. With packages starting at just $3.96 a month, it's the easiest way to get your next project online. Go to HostGator forward slash promo forward slash rocket ship to get 30% off today. CodeShip is a hosted continuous delivery service focusing on speed, security, and customizability. You can set up continuous integration in a matter of seconds and automatically deploy when your tests have passed. CodeShip supports both your GitHub and Bitbucket projects, and you can get started with CodeShip's free plan today. Should you decide to go with a premium plan, you can save 20% off of any plan for the next three months by using code ROCKETSHIP. Go to CodeShip.com slash ROCKETSHIP and check it out. Intercom is a communications platform for internet businesses. Anytime an internet business wants to see who their customers are, what they're doing, or wants to start a conversation with them either manually or automatically, uh, Intercom is the tool for that. What's the kind of problem that Intercom solves for business? Like, when when do people find you and say, "Ah, I need to hire you for this? Oh, gosh. So there's there's like four uh, problems we've identified after a lot of customer research that cause people to need something we sell. the most obvious one is this sense of wanting to be able to see who their users are and what they're doing. Uh, so people forever have had like analytics tools, all the way back to things like you know page view counters, uh, to like say slightly more modern things like which are like you know which ultimately event tracking solutions, and they have all these data points, but they roll out a feature, or they roll out a new part of their product, and they don't have any great answer to like. Are people using this? And if so, who's using it? And who's not using it? And you know, why aren't they using it? And like, what they're looking for is insights. But what they're getting is bar charts. Uh, so, one thing Intercom does is tells you who your users are and what they're doing in your product. And we definitely like, you know, that's definitely a pain we solve, or it's a job that exists. Other jobs are like, you know, help me engage my users. So I'm getting signups, but they're not doing the right things. Uh, another one is like, help me support my users. So it's a sense of you know, we've just hit some early traction, getting bombarded with requests and discussions and uh, conversations with our customers. Uh, it's, it's more than one person's job, so we need to bring the team in. We need to all work out of a common place. Help me support my users. Uh, that's another job we do. And another one is like, help me learn from my users. So I want to ask the right types, of, you know, the right questions of the right customers. So. This is like usually connected to the, the first job we talked about, but it's you know you roll out a feature and you want to know who's using it and what they're using it for, or often you want to know who's not using it and why not, uh, and like that's like you know a lot of like that's a combination of like being able to detect an activity and then learn from it by asking the right questions. But again, like even like 20 minutes ago before I sat down here, I had an email from a, a product I'm not going to name it, but it was like. Hey, we're looking for like what features we need to build next. I've literally never used that tool once, and yet they're asking me 
what you know like and i just know that if they're asking me that my feedback is going to be weighted equally with the person who's been using their product for two years and the person who signed up yesterday and the person who signed up once four years ago and never saw the tool Uh, and i think like the idea of learning from the wrong people is something that happens an awful lot or giving the wrong weight to the wrong feedback is happening an awful lot so the learn job is really about resolving that both from the type of question you ask and who you ask it of because they're kind of interconnected So you guys are really big on jobs to be done when it comes to building features. What about when it comes to removing them? Do you kind of work that same process? Slightly. uh, Typically, when you find yourself removing a feature, it's because you had a sort of an entrepreneurial gut or instinct that was something that would be kind of cool, and it might just turn out that that's all it was. You know, it was kind of cool. And kind of cool things are, they often make for great screenshots, they often make for great product landing pages, but they don't make for great traction. So uh, you will create features from time to time, and like everyone's first blush reaction will be like, shit, that's pretty fun. Um, But then you might never ever go there again. And the whole apps can evolve like this, where like they had a gimmick, everyone gave the gimmick a try, they all thought it was kind of fun, and now it's dead. Random example. I actually I hate picking on a on like particular products, but like I remember there was one restaurant finding tool where its whole thing was you could shake it and it was like a slot machine. It would come back with an answer, and like that was cool, but not ultimately a job people had like or at least this interface was suboptimal for that job. So uh, I think like you know whenever we find ourselves removing it, it's it's because ultimately one of two things: the job doesn't exist, i.e., it was a gimmick, but it wasn't a repeatable use case, or our implementation missed the mark somewhere our research came back wrong or whatever that uh, that we somehow like this this problem exists but this thing we did doesn't solve the problem so we'll go again it's really important to get rid of the broken solution to make space for the new one though so one of the big things you guys do is help uh, send emails to your customers and um, you recently redid the entire flow for sending emails kind of walk us through how did you guys approach that how did you know it was the right time to redo that feature so time is an interesting uh, question because, like, you've you've like you've both like customer facing issues, but you've got kind of internal things as well. Like, you, are, are the right engineers available? Is the design ready, etc. But like, the how on like why we picked it is um, this. You know, ultimately, this is the engaged job. It's like it help me send effective messages to my customers to get them doing what I want them to do. And in this case, we found that people weren't using us for all of those uh, all of those jobs, and the reason was that like the composer, frankly, wasn't up to scratch. It wasn't easy enough to like you know center a button in an email. It wasn't even easy enough to create a button in an email or to embed like various pieces of content or like to align content correctly or any of those sort of I guess we call like, definitely common. Maybe it's table stakes. I'm not sure, but like it's definitely a common request and. Because we were making it like like simplicity has this multiplicative value where like when you make something really simple, people do it all the time. How often do you check Twitter all the time? Why? Because it's not, not hard to do, right? You know, how often do you do taxes? Rarely. You know, uh, so when you make something simple, people use it a lot more. And we noticed that like we weren't capturing all of the behavior. We asked questions of our users like, "Hey, we noticed like you know you, you have like forty thousand users and you're, you're only sending like." X amount of emails that that can't be it. What are we missing? And, uh, and those discussions led us to realize that like there was just there were some areas where there were better solutions for for 
sending out simple emails and we realized that we needed to up our game uh, so we built this better composer we replaced the old composer and then as a sort of a knock-on value we, uh, we realized we now had this really nice way of composing text and it, it's not just our email workflow that that's used in it's like it's for sending in-app messages it's for replying to customers it's basically anywhere you're choosing to write a message so we got the actual benefit here of like you know, solving one problem once, but then re- repurposing that solution everywhere, which is actually means it reduces the footprint of Intercom. It means we only have one composer to make excellent, not four, you know, yeah. which is obviously a nice thing, as any software engineer would guess. Like, Absolutely, you know, yeah. yeah. So how do you evaluate that after you roll out the new composer? Are you watching uh, how many emails people send relative to the number of users before and after? So, yeah, you've got, like, you've got like, qualitative and quantitative feedback. So... The obvious one is, like, if people are sending less emails, then obviously we really didn't get it right, right? Yeah, um, so, yeah, you're looking for an increase. Um, I don't know. I, I actually don't know what the exact KPI is, but I guess it's something in the, ra- in the realms of, like, are people sending more emails? And that might be, like, average emails per account or whatever. I, I actually don't know. Um, certainly, like, on the creation workflow that you spoke about, uh, it would be... Um, it would be like throughput, right? So how many people make it through all the steps to create to create an automatic message that sends their customers? And, it, and if they're dropping off where? All of that will give you the numbers, which tells you whether you have a problem or whether you have an opportunity. Uh, but like, crucially important is like people who actually make it through the workflow, let's talk to them. Let's find out what they, what they think. How does it compare to other tools they use in this space? People who didn't make it through or people who haven't even tried it, what's going on there? So again, you're, you're always drilling into like uh, activity to find out, make sure it's optimal. And then when people aren't using it, you need to find out why and you need to chase this down. Recently, uh, changed up your pricing to, you've talked about some of the different jobs that you can do with the product and you change your pricing to reflect that. It seems like, you know, you have a plan focused on support, a plan focused on engagement. Um, what have been some of the challenges of splitting up the product into smaller uh, segments or pieces? So the opportunity, the reason we do it is because, uh, well, there's a handful of reasons. One, like the most obvious one is if you only want to use this for one thing and we're charging you for all the things, does it, you know, that's not an effective way to monetize, right? Like as in they think we're expensive, we think we're a bargain, that's a mismatch. Uh, so that was the opportunity on the table. I was like, can we make it easier for people to start using us at a, at a price point they're comfortable with? Uh, the challenges were numerous, but, you know, most, honestly, the most significant one, which I can't really speak to because I wasn't involved, but, like, uh, architecturally, in terms of code, anytime you're changing your pricing, it's a mess, you know, because uh, you're, you've got so, like, you, it's hard to run multiple pricing things in parallel. Uh, you will have customers who sign up once, three months ago once today and the things have changed in between so now they're really you know they're not their bill isn't as obvious as it used to be um, that like that's probably the two biggest things like uh, code wise it's just complicated to support multiple different uh, price plans in parallel and then like from a user point of view if you happen to be on multiple different price points in parallel that that can cause confusion too so you guys update the the old users to the new pricing or is there a point where you will uh, we've given them the option, so like for a lot of people, it makes sense. Also, a lot of our new features are only available on a on the newer on the newer price plan. So, yeah. So, um, and then what does it change in terms of rolling out new features? Do you have a new process in place to you know determine who gets to test it? Um, is it very different on the, the product development side due to the pricing? Um, not really due to the price. I mean, our, our rollout looks the same kind of regardless of how the product is priced, which is you know. A given team will build a feature. They're the first people who get to see it in like live intercom. 
uh, the next people who get to see it will then be like, and like they can have a live and, and they, they alone can know that it's a little bit rough or a little bit like, uh, you know, certain things don't necessarily work. When the whole company can see it, we usually expect it to work. Uh, but it might be still a bit rough around the edges in terms of like, you know, the execution or, you know, the, the visual design or whatever might still need some tweaks. But again, only the company can see it. When we roll it out to our trusted testers group, that's a different thing. That's like, at that point, we believe it to be, you know, production ready or, or very close to it. Uh, and we're, and we're, we want, what we want to see out of the trusted testers is like, an, you know, we want to see traction. Like, you know, is it going to be a gimmick or is it going to be something that they actually bring into their work life? And, uh, and then lastly, it'll go out to, like, I would say all the users, but I mean all the users for whom it makes sense. So obviously, if this is a support feature, it, you know, it may go out, it certainly won't go out to, like, people who don't have access to support because it makes no sense to them. So, you know, the last rollout is about, like, who actually gets it and where it goes. How do you decide who gets these rollouts uh, within the company and also once it goes out to users? Uh, it, it, a lot of it's just down to, like... When in the company, it's pretty simple. It's just the team get it first, then the rest of the company get it. That's just that. Like uh, the when I, beyond that, when when it's rolling out, it's, you're really into sort of a, a product packaging question. So like, as I said, you're not gonna you know you know every feature is tied to some part of the product. Uh, some of them are part of the platform, so they go out to absolutely everyone. Uh, so if we improved how you how you say like uh, user profiles, well every package we have has user profiles, so that improvement goes across the board. If we improve the email workflow and you don't have email workflow, you're not going to get it. Um, so that's usually what the decision is. It's just, you know, sometimes, we'll, you know, if, if a feature is like what we would consider to be a, a professional feature is in like only, the, you know, certainly only useful or demanded by larger uh, companies, uh, we'll put it on, onto one of the pro plans. But that's usually how it goes. What's been the biggest challenges that you guys grow um, in terms of keeping the team moving forward? product you know high quality yeah um at company level it's lots of things like hiring great people continuing to find uh, like you know excellence in each area on product level it's uh i think we recently like uh so paul wrote a blog post about like how to scale a product team and like uh there was definitely a period before that before we, we went through that phase where like where we like whatever, I think every kind of company goes through different points of like re-architecture or re-org where like, where like you know, and, and usually it's triggered by things like direct reports. So you might find, hey, this person's now got 17 engineers reporting to them. They're not going to be able to do a one-to-one with each of 17 engineers. Or they, or they do, in which case they don't do anything else you know, with their life whatsoever. Uh, so you, you have to restructure around those sort of things. So like, I think... There's like there's like choke points and things that give are usually like the organizational structure, uh, and it's usually triggered by like demands on one person or demands on people's time. So I think like if you can imagine the product equivalent of that, what it looks like is you know uh, one team responsible for two larger footprint. So the footprint itself, like so, if we had one team that was responsible for say like everything to do with uh, like communications inbound and outbound, right? That would actually be quite a lot because you've got like a shared inbox, you've got email parsing, you've got email sending, you've got composer workflows, you've got basically everything almost, right? Like, uh, so, you know, at, at, but at the same time when we were like four people, that was true. Yeah, well, yeah, when we were like eight people, that was true. Uh, so you have to like kind of recognize, you know, you allocate uh, parts of the product to product teams. And we're actually, 
right now we're kind of quite well organized in that like every we, we have products and each product is supported by a product team so that's pretty clean uh, your mileage may vary ours did so we'll see how it scales well your team is um, excellent product people um, how do you I mean coming from four people right how do you stay involved in the product but yet give kind of the control to the people that you've charged with leading that that front I think involved just your involvement just shifts through layers of abstraction. So when we were like four people, like our CEO is probably like the ultimate like you know product person, and he is like definitely like you know you know has like a heightened uh, attention to details. It's it's incredibly impressive. What uh, what happens is like you know if you take someone like me like my like pet hate is like bad copy or, or inefficient workflows or like or like hey I clicked this thinking we do this and it didn't. You know, when we're like four people, that's what I jump over. When we're 16 people, that's still what I would jump in on. I'd be like, hey, look, this literally will just going to confuse people if we were all of that like this. Um, what you kind of like try to do is abstract that into principles. Like, hey, whenever I see something like this, I think it should be more like that. And the reason I think this is because of that, like, who, who doesn't agree with me here? And maybe I'm wrong, or, or maybe no one's job was actually to ask that question, in which case we need to work out, like, how do we structure the team such that somebody does a final piece of QA on, like, expected behavior or whatever, you know. So I think, like, it's just, you know, you start off maybe caring about the pixels, you end up caring, then you move to caring about the people, then you move to caring about the process. Uh, ultimately, you start caring about the product team, and you just, all the time you're just looking for, like, the right orientation to get you the right results. That's so cool. And your team is split between San Francisco and Ireland, right? Mm-hmm. So how do you manage kind of keeping everyone feeling like they're part of the same team? Um, and do the two offices work on different things, or is there a lot of overlap? So Intercom is designed and engineered and, I guess, uh, whatever you want to call it, I would say hosted, but that's not the right word. Like the, our operations team who keep the keep the show on the road, basically, uh, they're all Dublin, and then every other business function is San Francisco. So you're talking everything from like G and A, sales, marketing, finance, analytics, uh, growth, uh, customer support, etc. Uh, all of that is, is San Francisco. So does what the slight advantage that gets you is you don't have like teams split across the Atlantic. Um, the you know. It's not like, you know, it's, I think people make a lot about uh, how amazing, say, remote work is. Uh, I think I've talked to many folks uh, who can also speak to the challenges of it. For us, uh, what we do is we make up for it with, like, with honestly, with a lot of video calls, a lot of communication, probably more docs than would be necessary if everyone was in the same room all the time or whatever. Um, I say probably. Some of it's still useful from a legacy or from bringing on a new person point of view. Um, and uh, and I think air miles, you know, like uh, like there's literally I, I don't believe there's any substitute for like two people at a whiteboard working together. Uh, so when you want to have discussions or, or around things that involve product plus marketing or product plus sales plus marketing, or, you know, human human contact is still you know the highest bandwidth one we have. So how uh, how big was your team when you guys raised the latest round? What raised which? Latest round of funding. Um, actually don't know the answer unfortunately uh, let me think uh, I'm gonna guess like 30 but I actually don't know so you you uh, a minute ago you listed off a lot of different teams and focus areas how do you go when you raise a lot of money like that how do you go from being a smaller team to then knowing how to grow to the next level you know how do you find which people you need to hire to run in each direction 
is that guidance from the investors you have? Is it experience on the team already? It's mostly the experience of our CEO. Um, like he, uh, he, he has uh, Owen has great like great friends and great in great companies as well. But like uh, you know, if you're in the valley full time, uh, you realize you you learn a lot. Like people again, people overestimate the, the value of not being in San Francisco. I think you know being there is essential if you really want to scale. I think you know you hire great people and uh, hopefully great people like you know, will guide you so we hired a great director of sales now our VP of sales and he's guided us on what sales will look like in Intercom uh, and you know every step of the way we've been you know receiving a lot of positive indications that this is good uh, certainly like, investors are great people like to bounce ideas off uh, that, you know you can sort of talk through things with them but uh, but ultimately it's, it's going to be a CEO is going to make those decisions awesome Very cool so where do we keep up with you and Intercom online so Intercom, our product is at intercom.io. Our blog is at blog.intercom.io. We also released a book, which you'll find there as well, on product management. And I'm Des Trainer, which is Des Trainer on Twitter and anywhere else. Awesome. Awesome. And definitely check out the Intercom blog. It's one of my favorites. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Rocket Ship Podcast. If you enjoyed it, we have tons of other awesome episodes on our website. Check them out, rocketship.fm. And make sure to check out our app discount section where we feature discounts from amazing companies like Treehouse, Wistia, Woo Themes, all giving you exclusive discounts for being a Rocketship listener. So go to rocketship.fm forward slash essentials. Yeah.